So today we continue our study in the book of 1 John. We've been going through this for the last few months already. Um, just for those of you who are visiting, uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, we are in chapter 2 right now, 1 John chapter 2. The author of this letter is the Apostle John. He was inspired to write this letter and of course, he's the author of the, the Gospel of John, the human author, and as well as the, the other letters of John and the book of Revelation. And we've been going through this verse by verse, I'm doing expository preaching, and I believe this is the most faithful way to interpret the Scriptures. Um, so we are, we are here in chapter 2, verse 24 to 29, which we are going to look at. And the wonderful thing about expository preaching is that the preacher doesn't get to choose the topic of the sermon. The, the passage dictates what the, what the topic is. And of course, this protects the, the church. This protects even the preacher um, from trying to manipulate people by using Scripture as a type of a, a springboard from which he can launch his agenda. So that's not what I'm trying to do here today. We are looking at what God has for us, we are looking at what the scriptures are, are telling us as we go through them week by week. And we can trust the Spirit of God that the message today is what God wants us to hear. And all of these tests that we've been looking at, all of these ways that we can examine ourselves, have been set forth for us here in the book of First John to know whether we are of Christ, to know whether we are in Christ, to know whether we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. And two weeks back when we were in this passage, we saw that there were false teachers even in the early churches, and they were teaching a new, a new teaching about a secret knowledge about Christ that even the apostles who had been taught by Jesus did not know about. Um, and, and throughout this letter, John gave this congregation a, a diagnostic test where they could tell whether the, the teachings were truly from for God or whether they were being manipulated by these false teachers um, during their time. So now this brings us to our passage here in 1 John chapter 2. Um, and you might imagine that a question would be in the hearts and minds of this congregation at this stage because there were many learned people amongst them and there were many of these intelligent people that were coming and, and teaching confusing things. Things that they didn't know. Things that were confusing. And they were, must have been asking at this point, how am I to, to be faithful to God? How am I to stay on this path that God has put me on? How am I to stay in the way of, of righteousness when I've got friends that are leaving the church and are following after different types of wrong teachings, what am I to tell them? How am I to, to behave? How am I to understand all of this? And how am I to abide in Christ when others are not abiding in Christ? How am I to persevere in the faith? So if we want to continue walking with God, we live in a world that is full of crazy different strange teachings, a world that's filled with much error, uh, people that are trying to manipulate us. And John gives us two words of instructions here. It's read First John chapter 2. Well, why don't we go there together and we'll read the passage that we're going to be looking at. 
We're looking at verse 24 to verse 29 this morning, but um, I would like to read from verse 18. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, and we know that it is inspired. And we know, Lord, that it is profitable for our instruction this morning. So, Lord, despite all the, the technical problems we may be having, Lord, and we know that the devil would want to distract us from hearing from you today, we know that the devil would want us to believe a lie. We know, Lord, that he doesn't want us to follow the truth. So we pray this morning, please, may our hearts be focused upon you, that you would give us um, attention this morning, and the Spirit may teach us and open our eyes and our ears to the, the teachings of your word this morning. So, Lord, despite all the confusion around us, Lord, we pray that your word um, would be clear this morning, and that you would instruct us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks back, we had a family visit New Life Church who were on holiday from Scotland. And the father of this family was telling me that they were from a conservative, reformed evangelical church where they only were able to sing psalms. And they only just recently started even using instruments. So very conservative. But he was saying that the spiritual climate in Scotland is almost non-existent. He said that a country that once sent out missionaries is now a country that is receiving missionaries. And he said that even the old church buildings were being sold and turned into car washes and being turned into mosques. Um, he said that 60% of those who identified themselves as evangelicals did not believe in absolute truth. So there's been a departure clearly from, from the scriptures. 
And he said the church was being influenced by the, the thinking of the culture around it. And the culture had rejected absolute truth. But he said despite all of this, despite this trend, he was telling me that there's been a, a sort of a revival. Um, he said that people were returning to the, the churches and people were coming to even his church where it was old-fashioned and people were only singing psalms and the Bible was being preached. People were coming to those places so that they could hear the, the truth of God's word. He said even young people were coming and um, they were singing with them and were part of their, their corporate worship so that they could hear what the Bible was teaching about, about those particular topics because they were hungry for truth. They were hungry for truth. And they, they were realizing that, that truth is not relative. And they wanted to hear what the Bible had to say about these life's problems. So that was encouraging to hear. Encouraging to hear how the society at large in Scotland is tired of the, the relativism. And were turning to the church, turning to the scriptures again to find out what the Bible was teaching about truth. And as I reflected upon that, I realized that I'm sure this is not only true for Scotland. I think we live in an age that is trying to confuse us as much as possible. We're living in an age where Satan wants us to believe the lies that he has been um, propagating for all these centuries. And that is why this passage of scripture here in 1 John chapter 2 is so relevant for us this morning. We know that there were false teachers even in this early church, in this first century congregation, and they were trying to deceive the, the true believers. And so the Apostle John gives, um, gives them some anchor points that would encourage them to keep on the path of truth, to, to keep on the path of righteousness that they were already on. And John gives his congregation two points that are just as useful for us this morning. And you'll see the first point in verse 24 to verse 26 where John says, If we're going to escape error, we must abide in the truth. We must abide in the gospel. And that's my first point this morning. Only two points. The second point we'll see in verse 27 to verse 29. He says, if we're going to know joy, we must abide in Him. We must abide in Him. We must not be looking to the world and the things of this world to find our joy and our satisfaction. We must be looking to Christ. And that's the, the two-part prescription that John gives to help this congregation stay on the, the path of faith in Christ, of fellowship with Christ, of fellowship with the, the living and the true God in midst of all the, the types of Confusion in midst of all sorts of these crazy beliefs that were going on um, in this first century church. So let's look at the first point this morning. To escape error, we must abide in truth. We must abide in the gospel. And first up, John says in verse 24, if we're going to stay on the way of Christ, if we're going to stay in the fellowship with God through Christ, we must abide. We must abide in the apostolic teachings. That's what he's talking about. Listen to verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
And the question we need to ask is, what does he mean by that? What is that which they heard from the beginning? This is the apostles' teaching. And this is what John is referring to. Abide in the apostles' teaching. You have heard the apostles' teaching from the beginning. The apostles have taught you biblical truth. Abide in this truth. Truth which the apostles had learned from the very beginning from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this isn't new apostolic teaching. This is the teaching of Jesus that they have heard, that they are teaching. And he says, if you want to be able to make it through when the world is telling you all sorts of strange doctrines, all sorts of lies, if you want to remain faithful, if you want to be discerning, if you want to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, go to the Scriptures. Go to the Bible. Go back to the, the core teachings of the apostles. Go back to the gospel teaching which you have heard from the very beginning. And my friends, we, we can do the same thing today. We need to do the same thing today. Even though we live 2,000 years after the scriptures have been written, 2,000 years after the, the first early New Testament church, we have the teachings of the apostles which we hold in our hands. And the Apostle John is saying that in order to escape this confusion, in order to escape this relativism, in order to escape all these philosophies of this world, we as Christians must live and grow in sound doctrine, in sound biblical teaching that has been preserved for us here in the Word of God. And he says here, abide in it, abide in it. He means the Apostle's teachings. This is not something that we visit occasionally. This is not something that we, that we just flip through when we, when we are in trouble. We must be abiding in the, in the Scriptures, he says. Abide in the Apostles' teachings. We're to dwell on the Gospel that the Apostles shared with us. We're to dwell on the original message of the Apostles. We're to dwell on the, the core truths of the faith which have been set by the apostles. We don't need to wander from that. We don't need to be experimenting with new truths. We need to go back to the, the scriptures. Now, in our days, we have people saying, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And John would say the same thing to us today as he said to the, to the early church. Go back to the truth that was taught to you. Go back to the scriptures. There is a right and there is a wrong. And it's here in the scriptures we can learn these things. And John is concerned that we would know the foundational teachings that, that God has given to us in his scriptures. And through the teachings of the apostles. And he sees this as an anchor point. He sees this as an anchor point to keep us from falling into all types of confusion into all types of, of sin. He sees this as an anchor point that will keep us from being blown around by every strange wind of, of doctrine and every fad that, that comes with it and by every trend that seems to circulate in our popular culture 
today. Our anchor must be the, the truth of God's word. And he doesn't just mean knowing certain facts about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's not talking about learning facts so that we can win some type of a, a Bible trivia or a Bible quiz. He wants us to be ingrained in this truth. He wants us to be saturated in the, the biblical teachings of, of the Scriptures. So that when a crisis does come, and crises will come in our lives, folks, and when these troubles come, we will know how to respond. We will know what is real and what is fake. We will be set upon the Scriptures. We will know for sure that the Word of God is sufficient in our day and our age. So how do we respond in times of trials? That's the question then. Are we responding biblically when the, when the pressure points of, of this day and age creep up upon us? And the truth is, we learn what we really believe when a crisis comes, doesn't it? I've said it before, and John keeps on reminding us that our belief affects our behavior. And how we behave when a crisis comes really shows people, shows our children, shows our families what we believe. When the diagnosis comes that we have, or somebody in our family has cancer, and that there's nothing that the doctors can do for us, how do we respond? Or when your, your wife walks out, or when your spouse walks out or your spouse is unfaithful or when a child dies when there are pressures of compromise in your workplace and when you are tempted to sin or tempted to entertain or indulge in a sin how do you respond? How do you behave? And of course we are tempted either to be faithful to God be faithful to his word, or we're tempted to forsake that and indulge in that sin or to compromise or to be unfaithful. And in all of these circumstances, and of course in a thousand other circumstances, we see what we really believe by how we respond in those circumstances. And the way we respond is an indication to what we really believe is true. And I don't normally do this, but I have prepared a, um, a short little sermon jam from John Piper. But I think it's very relevant for us to look at this. And I'm going to ask Heather if you would put that on. And what do we believe in a time of trial? I think the, the point and the principle is, is perfect, perfectly applied in this passage. I mean, what do we turn to in a time of crisis? Do we turn to the scriptures that the apostles taught us or do we turn to some other philosophy that the world is trying to teach us? That the world wants us to embrace. That is a lie that doesn't provide any sort of comfort or any sort of joy when there are trials that we face. When our children are suffering. When there is a death. And John is saying to us in this passage, if you want to stay anchored in the midst of this culture in the midst of these false teachings we need to be anchored in the truth 
That Christ is sufficient. That His Word is sufficient. That He is all that we need. Just like John Piper is saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Not in the things of this world, not in the the false teachings that these, these false prophets are trying to perpetrate to us. We're not just to to assent to the, the Scriptures. We need to be em, embracing it. We need to be abiding in the Scriptures. So when these crises come, how do we respond? Does our belief affect our behavior? Do we have hope when these trials come? And what is our hope in? That is the question that, the, that John the Apostle is asking us this morning. Does the scripture change the way you think about life? Does the word, the truth of the the word of God change the way you look at the world? Does the truth of the scripture change the way that you face personal crisis? And the way that you bear witness in your life to those around you that you do believe that Jesus is the Lord. That you do believe that he is Beautiful, even in difficult times. Even in times of struggle. That you do believe that He is all-sufficient. That He is the Messiah. That you do believe that He is the only way to salvation. The salvation that has been given to us by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That you do believe that He is the only way. John is telling us here that the first way to resist these false teachings and these false philosophies is to go back to the anchor point, which is the truth of God's Word. And Paul puts it a little bit differently. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And here's how you walk in accordance with the Spirit. And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're not going to overcome. You're not going to be able to handle the pressures of this world. You're not going to handle these crises unless the word of God is dwelling in you richly. And that's nothing new, folks. This is the apostolic teachings that have been handed down to us, that are recorded for us here in the Scriptures. And Paul even goes on to say, that's why we we ought to speak and to sing to one another in in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, so that we can encourage each other and remind each other of these biblical truths, so that we would be thinking according to the Scriptures. I remember when I first got right with the Lord and I was so enthusiastic about following him. I, I went to my dad who was a, a non-believer and he still is. And I said, Dad, I, I want to be a missionary. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he said, Son, you're just being brainwashed by going to that church. You're just being brainwashed. And my response was, Yes, Dad. <laughs> my brain is being washed. I need my brain to be washed. I need it to be saturated with the Word of God. For so long I've believed lies. For so long I've been following false teachings. 
I need my brain to be washed by the word of God. And that's what John is telling us. Abide in the scriptures. That's what Paul is telling us. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. And John says, abide in the biblical truths that the apostles have taught us. This is our anchor point, folks. The word of God is sufficient. This is our rock. When the storms of life will beat upon us, we need to turn to this rock in the midst of these storms. This is our anchor. Not the philosophies of the world. Not the the lusts of the world. Not the temporary fulfillment that the world will promise you. And I believe the key word here in this section, look at verse 24. I think the key word here is, is the word if. Small little word, but it's there. And this is the hinge. This is the, the pivot point upon which his promise of eternal life is based. And look there, he says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you. In other words, if the gospel abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. But if the gospel abides in you, you will have eternal life. And the Apostle Paul, we know, was a a devout Jew. And he was carefully keeping all the the rituals and all the the rules of the, the Jewish faith. But he did not have eternal life. He didn't believe in the gospel. He didn't know God personally through Jesus Christ. But after his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, he wrote that he counted all of his previous experiences as loss. He said in Philippians 3 verse 8, In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And if you do not know Christ personally, you probably will settle for religion just like the Apostle Paul did. You probably will go to the world for your satisfaction if you do not know Jesus personally. So the, more, the, the challenge this morning is, do you know Christ Jesus personally? Is the Word of God abiding in you? If not, then you probably don't know Him as your all-sufficient Savior. You need to ask God to open your eyes so that He will abide, that you will abide in Him and He will abide in you. The fact that eternal life is God's promise means that is not something that we have to work for. And we've heard a wonderful sermon last week from Ephesians chapter 2 that this salvation we have received from God is a gift. And we have received it by grace. It is not something that we have earned. It's not a work that we have done to deserve it. John writes in In verse 25 here, this is the promise which he himself promised. Literally eternal life. And what a wonderful promise. What a wonderful gift that we have. There's nothing greater, folks, apart from the gospel. Remember, we are all under God's condemnation. Apart from the gospel, we deserve God's righteous judgment. And if it wasn't for the gospel we would all be facing this eternal damnation. But, because of Christ, we have this eternal life. The great news of the gospel is that God did not come to tell us to follow rules and to follow rituals so that we could 
be with Him, so that we could have communion with Him. He didn't tell us to, to follow these set of regulations and to pray in ways that would keep us out of purgatory. He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. Those rules, those regulations, those rituals, even religion is the bad news, folks. It's the bad news. But the good news is that God Himself has promised us eternal life. We don't need to turn to anything else. What could be greater than the gift that God has promised us as a free gift to any guilty sinner who would receive it by faith? So have you done that this morning? And that's the question that the Scriptures are asking us this morning. Is the gospel abiding in you? Or are you believing a lie? Are you believing a false philosophy? Is the gospel abiding in you? And John goes on to write in verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So from the earliest days, there were people trying to deceive the Christians. And remember, the apostles were still alive. They were still ministering in these churches. And there were these false teachers trying to deceive these early Christians. And the enemy was sowing confusion in the churches about the gospel. Believe this and your pigs won't die. Believe this and you'll have rings on your fingers. Confusion. And in his last letter before his death, Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13, he said, Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And if Satan can cause confusion about the gospel, everything else will be affected. It's like the domino effect that causes all the other dominoes to fall. And one important application that we see here in the scriptures is that we must never grow tired of the gospel. Don't think that you do not need to hear the gospel. Don't think that you do not need to meditate on the gospel over and over again. You know, even though I've been preaching the same gospel for 15 years, there are still depths to the gospel that I need to appreciate more, that I need to understand better. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 this, this morning that angels look upon the truths of the gospel. Angels look upon it in awe and wonder. We mustn't grow tired of the gospel. We must be preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. We must be reminding ourselves that there is a Redeemer who sent us this wonderful gift of salvation, who gave us this gift of salvation. And this is the message which we heard from the beginning. And we need to abide in it. We need to dwell in it. We need to be at home with this teaching that the apostles taught. But he doesn't finish there. John gives us another point. And it's my second point this morning. In verse 27, he goes on to say that we are to abide in him. Not just the gospel, not just the truth of the word of God. We are to abide in him. 
He says in verse 27, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it, as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now who is him that John is talking about here? And what is John saying here? Well, John is saying, first of all, that we are to abide in a person. We know the scriptures tell us about that. But who is this person about whom he is speaking? Well, we know that the whole of the New Testament teaches us that we are to abide in Christ. And that's, that's very clear in the New Testament. It's a command. It's, a, it's an imperative. But there's a little difference here that John is talking about. The person that he's talking about is the, the Spirit of God. He's talking about the Spirit of God. We are to abide in the Spirit. And he uses the phrase, the anointing, which is in reference to the, the Spirit of God. In reference to the indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit of God, which we receive at the point of our salvation. He's not talking about a, a second type of baptism or a second type of indwelling. He's talking about the indwelling that happens when we are saved. And you'll see that this is a, a direct consequence of something that Jesus had already taught to, to John and the disciples on the night that, that he was betrayed. They understood what he was talking about. Turn with me. Let me show you in, in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the last night of his public ministry. And he says to them in, in verse 25 and in verse 26, John chapter 14, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Now all these things that I've been telling you in the upper room, I've spoken to you while I've been with you myself. That's what he's saying. But the helper, he says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus tells the disciples that the Father is sending another helper to them so that they are not alone. So we need to interpret this in the context of what John is talking about. But look at the second part of verse 27. We must be careful back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. We must be careful to interpret this correctly. In the context and in light of the entire New Testament, John is telling us that we, we need to be taught. He's telling us that we need teachers. But now he, he says that we don't need it. What does he mean? And John is not saying that Christians no longer need teachers to instruct us. That's not what he's saying. If that was what he was saying, he would have contradicted himself. He would have contradicted the entire letter that he's just written, which contains teaching. He would also contradict the Apostle Paul, who taught that God has given the church gifted teachers to help us grow and to mature. But what John is saying is that we do not need this elite secret knowledge that these false teachers were teaching. Remember the context here. 
They were teaching a, a secret truth. And he's saying, believers, remember, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit will help you know what is true and what is false. And John is trying to get at the idea that Christians don't need teachers to tell us what is right and what is wrong. We don't need these false teachers. We would need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is, of course, indwelling in us so that we can have this type of discernment. And that's what he's been talking about. These false Gnostic teachers were coming into the church and they were saying, we have a new revelation from God. We have some secret knowledge about God and it will change your life. It will revolutionize your your life. And John is saying, hold on. I was there with Christ. I sat with Christ. I touched Christ. I heard from Christ himself. And now you're going to tell me something new that Christ taught? That's not being wise. He's telling us this morning, he's telling the church this morning, that we need to go back to the scriptures. And John is trying to protect his sheep while turning to the false teachers and saying, You're teaching lies. We have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. And he says, I'm indwelt by this teacher. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And he is not confirming with what you are teaching. I think there's two wonderful applications that we can gather from this passage this morning. The first application is a The Spirit always works in conjunction with His Word. The Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. He does not give direct revelation today that is on par with Scripture. And often today, in our day and age, again, these false prophets are are telling us a new revelation from God that that contradicts the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict Himself. The word of God would never contradict itself. And that's what was happening. These false teachers were claiming to have direct revelation from the Spirit. But their teachings were contradicting the apostles' teachings. And if you get some insight that you think has has come from God, but it doesn't line up with God's word, your insight is not from the Holy Spirit. Maybe from another spirit. But it will never contradict the word of God. Or if someone says to you, the Lord has told me you need to do this or you need to do that. Be careful. Is that what the scriptures are saying? Sometimes they will even use a verse of, of scripture and they will manipulate it. But, but almost all the time it is taken out of context. Read the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit that will help us to discern what is right and what is wrong. And the Holy Spirit always leads us to the Word. The Holy Spirit always leads us to a deeper understanding of the all-sufficient Savior. Not to some other experience. So trust the Word of God. The Spirit will always lead us into truth. Trust Him to lead you into truth. The second application I think that is relevant, is that the the Spirit abides in us. 
but we need to be also abiding in the Spirit. John says that the anointing abides in us. But the last part of the verse could be better understood as we need to abide in Him. And John uses the word abide six times in verse 24 to verse 28. And we've, we've seen already that this word is used for, for fellowship. It's used for maintaining a warm and a, a close relationship with the Lord. So he's saying, let the Holy Spirit be at home in every area of your life. And you be at home with the Spirit of God. And you be at home with the Word of God. Make sure you are dwelling in it. Don't keep any secret closet locked away from the the Spirit of God. Give Him full entrance to every little nook and every little corner, every little cranny of your thoughts and your emotions. Let the Spirit of God dwell in you. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And finally, John says in In verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We've seen already that John is not talking about perfection. He is talking about direction. He's talking about if you and I are practicing righteousness, then we are in the right way. We are in the right path. And that's the nature of practice, isn't it? We have to do it over and over again. We're not going to become perfect in in one session. We need to be practicing this. We're striving for it. This is the direction that our heart is set upon. We need to be doing this daily. John wants to make it clear that, that sin is an ongoing struggle. And he's told us that already. If we say we are without sin, we are calling God a liar. So don't be deceived. Sin is at our doorstep. Sin is there. The temptations of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are there. They are constantly there. John wants us to make sure that we are overcoming these temptations. John wants to make it clear that Jesus did not only come to forgive us of our sins, but he also came to to change us, to make us like him, to make us like Christ, and to restore to us the the fullness of the image of God, that we would be like our, our maker, that we would be like Christ, that we would be making decisions that would honor him. John knows that we will never be perfectly like God in this earth. But John also knows that every Christian desires to be like his Savior. He desires to be like Christ. He desires to be in the image of God. And if you're a believer this morning, if you're here this morning, struggling with sin, but you hate your sin, be encouraged this morning, folks, that Christ is with you. That you can overcome this. The very fact that you hate your sin is an indication that you want to be like your Savior. And take courage this morning that you are His child. In other words, John is saying, if you really know Jesus, one thing you know about Him is 
that he is holy, that your Savior is holy. And of course, in Christ, in God, there is no unclean thing found in him. In him, there is only perfection. There is perfect beauty because there is no sin that dwells in him. And in him, we have the only perfect human that has ever lived, the only perfect example that we can turn to. John says, if you know him, if you know him, if you know him as he truly is, not as the the false religions will try and picture him and try and show him, if you know him as he truly is in the word of God, you will abide in him. You will know that he is holy. And if you've been born of him, you have been born into his likeness into his holiness. And your belief will affect your behavior. You will live according to the nature of your God. And John's argument to us is that we ought to live a life in pursuit of holiness. And living righteously is a, is a process. We grow in obedience to God. We practice this. It does not happen instantly. And there will be struggles that we face. And there will be setbacks that we face. And that's all part of this walk that we are on. The path that we are on. But he says to us, if you are born again, you will be learning to judge every thought, every motive, every attitude by God's word. You will know God's word and you will use God's word to help you make good decisions. christ like decisions and the fruit of the spirit will be growing in your character and you will be disciplining yourself for the purpose of holiness the purpose of godliness you won't be turning to those websites that make you fall into all types of temptation and all types of sin you won't be speaking to your children or your husband and your wife the way that you do you'll be disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness And this is done in dependence with the Spirit of God. But we need to be actively involved in this process, pursuing Him. And as a result, He tells us in verse 28, as a result, we will have confidence, confidence when our Lord returns. Look at verse 28. He says, Abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at his coming. Now John is not trying to manipulate us. He's not trying to threaten us here to change a type of external behavior. He doesn't want us to be ashamed. He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. He doesn't want us to be confounded at the coming of of our Savior. He wants us to be excited about it. So he's speaking here words of kind, calm assurance to those who are walking and abiding in Christ. Look at verse 28. He he addresses us here as little children. And the word little children implies that abiding in Christ is something that even children can do. This is something that is not just for those who have degrees or not just for those who have been years and years following Christ. Abiding in Christ, he's he's telling us, is, is, is simple. It's not, it's not hard. It's not something you need a, a, a degree to do. 
Little children depend on their parents all the time, don't they? For everything. And their parents must protect them and their parents will provide for them. That's part of the relationship. They would not survive for a day if their parents abandoned them to the, to the elements. If you're abiding in the Father as a, as a little child, you will depend on Him for your provisions. You'll depend on Him for your, for your life. You'll depend on Him for the power you need to, to overcome these sins. And you take every need to Him in prayer, and you draw near to Him as a, as a loving Father. And when trials come into your life, you actively draw near to the Lord and depend on Him as you have never had to at any other times. And that's perfectly okay. That's what we must do as God's children. And this is why Peter writes to suffering believers in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We must humble ourselves as children. And children are not strong in themselves. We are strong in our parents. We are strong in our protector. And as children, we run to our parents for refuge. Because we're weak, we need our Heavenly Father. He is our anchor. He is our strong tower that we can turn to in these times. It is only when we are aware of our own weaknesses that we truly call upon the Lord for help and we rely on Him for strength. We can see an example of this in our text. And John is using the word we here in verse 28. And I love the way he does it because he's not trying to make himself better than us. Even though he's an apostle, he he realizes he is a little child. He needs to abide in Christ as a little child. He needs to depend in Christ as a little child. We, all of us, need to be doing that. We're all included in this. Even though the Apostle John was aged, see his humility here. And that's what he calls upon us to do this morning. Humble ourselves before him so that he may lift us up in times of our trouble. Are we abiding in Him? So the question this morning, as we conclude this message, are you abiding in Christ? Believer this morning, is your confidence in Christ? Is your joy in Christ? Is your satisfaction in Christ? Are you abiding in Him? And the second question this morning is to the unbeliever. Are you ready for the Lord to return? If He was to return today, would you be ready for the, the biggest event this world will ever know? And the answer to that question depends on your answers to all the other questions. Are you abiding in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power 
of the Spirit of God. If you're not, turn to the Lord this morning. Turn to the truth of the Scriptures this morning. Turn to the Gospel that has been handed down to us by the Apostles. Turn to Jesus Christ who was given to us by the Father for the forgiveness of sins. He is the only hope that we have. He is the only hope that this world has. Let's make sure that we turn to truth and not be deceived by the devil. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder this morning that we need to be abiding in you, that we need to be pursuing you, Lord, that we need to be walking closely with you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do that as your children. We thank you for your word. May we not just leave it on a shelf this week and blow the dust off it when we come to church, but may we be abiding in your word. May we be loving your word. May we be meditating on your word. May the word of God dwell in us richly this week, Father God. And may your spirit lead us to understand it. May your spirit of God help us to apply even the message we heard this morning. And perhaps today, Lord, there are people here amongst us that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. And perhaps there are people this morning who have been believing lies, all types of false gospels. I pray the Spirit of God would convict their heart this morning and grant them repentance and faith, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, that they would see their need for a Savior, and they would see the Savior that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. May their faith be in Him today. So Lord, do the work that needs to be done in us, we pray, for the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people, we ask in Jesus' name.